Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, uh, a very spooky Halloween times to everybody. This is our first episode of Halloween Times 2017. Uh, be sure to go to morethanonelesson.com and buy your Halloween Times t-shirt, which has a, a jack-o'-lantern on it, uh, hastily drawn on a chalkboard by me. So, in Photoshop, by the way. So, uh, before we, we get to... Uh, the, uh, the proceedings. I wanted to let everybody know that this episode is brought to you by Faith Life TV, a new streaming service for Christians. Faith Life features interviews, dramatic films, biblical resources, and documentaries. Speaking of which, the powerful documentary Bonhoeffer is now, now available on Faith Life TV. Uh, it is a film detailing the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his decision to actively fight against Adolf Hitler. Uh, we, and it's interesting, by the way. I've seen, I've seen the film many years ago, and I absolutely adore it. And something that I find fascinating is that there was a great deal of debate uh, amongst Christians at the time, and in some cases since then, about what Bonhoeffer was trying to do, um, because he and a number of other uh, pastors and clergy and, and Christians uh, were behind an assassination plot. And there are people, so it brings up this idea of, well, is it ever okay to murder? Um because assassination is premeditated murder, but I don't know. So it's it's very interesting, and, and the documentary does address it. Uh, so uh, it is inspiring, challenging, and ultimately fascinating. Bonhoeffer is available exclusively to Faith Life subscribers. Uh, but the good news is that you can get Faith Life TV free for one month. Just go to morethanonelesson.com and click on the Faith Life ad on the side. That'll take you where you need to go to sign up for Faith Life and enjoy your free month of great content. Plus, it's only four ninety nine per month after that. So. Uh, uh, it's a great deal. And then this episode is also sponsored by DigiCycle Me, helping churches and ministries maximize their potential through social media and content coaching. Just go to morethanonelesson.com and click on the DigiCycle Me logo on the side to find out how best to reach your ideal audience. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, speaking of scary, corporate sponsorship, am I right? Uh, you know, but I am beholden to my corporate masters as we all must be. Uh, and speaking of, uh, someone that is only, who is only beholden to me at the moment, my co-host and resident horrorologist, Reed Lackey. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm very excited that it's October. I'm so thrilled. Halloween could not come fast enough for me. And I know it's, it's not Halloween yet, but it is Halloween times and I'm, oh, I couldn't be happier. Now, you host a podcast in the More Than One Lesson faculty, which I'm just going to steer into at this point. Um, (laughs) 
called The Fear of God. Now, what's that all about, Reed? We explore the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre, very specifically. Um, myself and you talk and, about that all year round. Yeah, it's uh, it's Halloween all year long at The okay. Fear of God. Yeah, myself and my co-host, Nathan Rouse, we have uh, weekly conversations about mostly films, 95% mm-hmm. films. But we have, we've got a few episodes on there uh, from works of literature, uh, specifically The Raven and The Monkey's Paw, um, and then also uh, a, a very well-received episode about Eminem's Stan. Um, yeah. That we were we were happy that listeners joined us for that and that they responded so positively to that conversation. But yeah, uh, conversations about faith and fear. All and, right. Yeah. Uh, and then, now it's Halloween all year long, but of course... It's literally Halloween times in October. That's true. So are you doing anything special at Fear of God for the month of October? Yes. So uh, we're calling it hashtag I love the 90s. Shout out to uh, old days of VH1. But um, listeners of our show voted on, first of all, they nominated and then they, from those nominations, voted on their favorite horror films of the 90s. So what we're doing is we're taking a... An episode uh, a week, which there are five in October, and we're counting down the top 50 of those. Mm -hmm. So then um, uh, each episode, we count down 10 of them, briefly talk about some of the highlights, the ones we've seen, how we feel about them, and then devote an entire conversation to one of the episodes. Uh, one of the movies from our top 10. Right. And then uh, it'll culminate on Halloween, since Halloween's on a Tuesday and that's when our show airs, it'll culminate on Halloween with an episode about the number one pick and the top 10. So, uh, yeah, right. so all all of uh, October this month or for us is going to be uh, hashtag I love the 90s, the horror films of the 90s. All right, that's very exciting. And, and listeners, I've got kind of the inside track. I know... <laughs> the top rated uh, <laughs> films and I'll be I'll, I'll say this I did not immediately guess the number no. one it took it took a moment and and a, I believe a kind of a broad hint but still a hint from Reed so <laughs> uh, it might surprise you to, to check it out and you can find that at more than one lesson.com yeah. as you can uh, all of our podcasts uh, including Thimble Riggs Arc Salty Cinema and another one soon to be announced. Ooh, very exciting. By the time this episode goes up, it might exist. I don't know yet. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I was actually Skyping with somebody today uh, about uh, starting up a, a new show. That's which very he came exciting. to me with it, and I really like the idea of it. So, we'll, we'll, Wonderful. we'll let you know as, as things develop, we'll, we'll come back to you. So, uh, so, Halloween times, for those that don't know, and uh, you might be able to figure it out. Um, now, Reed, you started a whole podcast that deals yeah. with horror because you have spent a good portion of your life mm-hmm. in the church defending what many would consider to be a demonic genre, right. an entire right. genre that is demonic in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I won't I wouldn't say that I'm late to horror. Um, but when I was a teenager, I didn't really value it. Mm. Uh, probably into my twenties, I didn't really, but, um, but the older I got and the more I strayed from character and story, not to imply horror doesn't have that, it very much does, but uh, I started to value filmmaking and aesthetics mm. and mm-hmm. tone and that sort of thing. And the way that certain filmmaking choices can play into all of that and right. help realize that. Um, 
And so I believe my Battleship Pretension co-host, uh, David, has said that uh, horror is the most intrinsically filmic of uh, all of the genres. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if I necessarily agree. I do think the film noir probably could give it a run for its money. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but at the same time, film noir can be tense. But true horror and terror and the intensity that comes with that is a very specific emotion that you can find in other genres and, and categories as well. But horror is, you know, that's what it's all about. Right. And when you think of all the stuff that needs to go into that, like a very specific pacing when it comes to the editing, mm-hmm. uh, choice of camera angle, and is this going to be a close-up? or And then obviously music plays a huge role, sound plays a huge role, and performance. Yeah. You know, I, I think that, what is it? Uh, her name is, I believe, Marilyn Burns. Um, from is it Marilyn Burns at, from in Texas Chainsaw Chains Massacre? Yes, that's exactly. Uh, right. yeah. She passed away recently, and I remember at the time I said that she is an unsung hero mm. in the world of horror because the last half hour, maybe not a half hour, but like the last twenty to twenty five oh, minutes, yeah. is basically her terrified all the time mm-hmm. and screaming relentlessly, the, relentlessly. That has got to be incredibly difficult to do, you know, like pure, like it's something that I was thinking about alien recently and I was thinking about John Hurt, uh, Mm -hmm. and his character and that, you know, he's the first one to die and we don't really get to know him that well. And I was like, "Ah, he doesn't really get much of a chance to act. And then you realize like, oh, right. When the alien is coming through his chest and he has to play fear and indescribable pain, Mm. uh, that literally means he has to drop every inhibition that a person has and just scream in pure terror and excruciating pain. Yeah. Like that's a hard thing for, for an actor to do. And so, so all of these things play into the creation of fear Mm -hmm. and terror. And I think that is why David says that the most, that horror is the most intrinsically filmic of all genres. And so as I got more into what film can be, I think I got more into horror and that's when I realized that there is some really wonderful artistry going on. Sure. And so a few years ago, but I ran across, I ran up against the the thing that you have been dealing with your whole life, most certainly, which is in the Christian community, this feeling that is demonic or if not demonic, this idea is like, well, it's just negative. We Mm -hmm. shouldn't be thinking about these things. Right. Right. Um, and so, Halloween times, I, the term came from my co-host Josh. Uh, it got to be that one, I would do one episode per year around Halloween that would be horror Mm. based. And then I just decided like, there are so many great horror movies out there. And in the case of today, some horror movies that aren't so great. Um, (laughs) but also movies that just kind of deal with the macabre. And there is a, there is a month every year where people in general are more willing to talk about and yes. directly deal with these things. And so why shouldn't more than, you know, why should more than one lesson be any different? And so that is where Halloween times came along. So the entire, that's a long explanation. Sorry, everybody. You could probably figure it out. It's called Halloween times. <laughs> We're talking about horror in October. <laughs> probably didn't need much more explanation than that, but I wanted to give you a little bit of history in case you're new. Um, so we do devote, the month of October to talking about films that are either overtly horror or at least incorporate horrific elements. Sometimes they could be comedies. Sometimes mm-hmm. they could be uh, kids films, which 
oddly enough, allow for a surprising amount of disturbing imagery. If you, uh, yeah. you know, check out uh, Disney's Pinocchio or sure. Snow White yeah. or any of those old Disney films uh, for further examples. But um, but today we are kicking off this year's Halloween times with Adam Wingard's Death Note, um, which uh, is a Netflix original film. Yeah. And a, a, a brief discussion of uh, Adam Wingard. He uh, burst onto the scene, uh, at least as far as I'm concerned, with the film You're Next, which I think right. came out in 2011. Yeah, I think that's right. Which was a delightful and scary and uh, stylistic uh, rumination on both like the slasher genre and the whodunit. Yeah, um, it was really inventive. I like, I like You're Next a lot. And it's, and it's, and it is very funny in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Uh, you know, there is a lot of overlap in my view between comedy and horror, because in both cases we're dealing with, uh, responses that are not necessarily intellectual. Sure. Um, like you burst out laughing or you scream, like they're both these external, almost involuntary reactions oh, to yeah. what you're seeing on screen. Yeah. Uh, and I think Adam Wingard understands that. And then he, uh, he made a film that I believe we talked about, uh, a few years ago for Halloween times called the guest, I love the which guest. is also kind of a genre blend here mm-hmm. because there's, there's a lot of action, eighties uh, action movie in there and yeah. like eighties spy movie combined with horror and suspense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he actually made the film Blair, Witch uh, a, a year or two ago, which I did not see. I liked it a lot. Uh, I actually, uh, had the opportunity to guest on, a, another podcast called feeling film where we talked about, mm-hmm. uh, immediate reactions to Blair, Witch. um, time hasn't been kind to it, but yeah. it was a really enjoyable experience, uh, yeah. just being in the theater. Um, yeah, it, 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 episodes not about that, but I remember thinking when I walked out of Blair, Witch um, that, uh, it was one of the most just, um, r- sort of raw experiences of being startled in the theater that yeah. I had in a long time. It, it relies heavily. This is one of its detriments. It relies heavily on jump scares, sound yeah. manipulation, etc. uh, more so than a sustained dread or yeah. effective, uh, atmosphere building. But there's a couple of really nice payoffs in it. There's some missed opportunities in it, which could, the same could be said about death note, Sure, but, um, there's some missed, th- plenty of missed opportunities opportunities in Blair Witch, but, um, I still enjoyed it more than most people yeah. said that they enjoyed it coming out of it. Yeah. Uh, an interesting story and then we'll get into death note proper, but an interesting story about Blair Witch. Um, it, its premiere was at Comic-Con last year. Mm-hmm. David, my BP co-host, he, uh, he went to a, uh, a Comic-Con exclusive screening of a film called the woods. Oh, and so there was a big poster that said the woods, uh, there were employees, uh, that had shirts called the woods. Everybody went in and, and then like it announces like, Oh, Burkittsville, Maryland. And David thought like, Oh, that's a nice little nod to uh. the Blair Witch Project. That's fun. And then became very clear early on, like, Hey, wait a second this isn't the woods. <laughs> this is something different. Yeah. This is, this is a Blair witch movie. And then 
once the film was over and everybody came out, the poster for the woods has been, had been taken down and replaced with a poster that said Blair, Witch, and all the employees had shirts that said Blair, Witch, and that actually built a great head of steam for yeah, the film. It really did. Like, yeah, I didn't know there, I didn't know there was anything Blair, Witch going on. Like it's rare for Hollywood to keep a secret. Yes. Oh, and for this to be a secret, literally right up until the moment that the studio wanted to unveil it is really an achievement. Oh I, yeah, I um, completely agree. And David actually came out of the film really enjoying it. But at the same time, given those circumstances, I feel like even if I didn't like the film, I think I'd be more inclined to enjoy it because of that yeah. fun reveal. Well, and I remember I, I speculated about this. What a great thing. Uh, like if, I, I said, what if a horror film were to do something, and this was this was what I equated it to, like if, if, if a horror film were going to do something right now where it's just you had a premise of like a family staying at a house or something and the, the children are having just a terrible time uh, with, with horrible nightmares, you mm-hmm. know, and you get through your trailer, you get through, you know, your promotional material, and then it's like, you know, the trailer's usually about two minutes, about a minute and a half into the film, then uh, you don't realize until after everybody's just been trying to figure out, well, what's been going on? Is this house haunted? Is this, uh, is this another conjuring scenario mm-hmm. or what it is? And then it's not until like the final, like five seconds of the trailer that like you see, the glove and it's, and you realize like, Oh, this is a new nightmare on Elm street yeah. movie, you yeah. know, but the, but that, that had been in the same vein as what Adam Wingard did with Blair, Witch, that that were kept a secret until like a yeah. big reveal. And then it's like, Oh gosh, then now we get no. this new installment in a franchise. There's something just very gleefully exciting about that. Cause it pushes yeah. the nostalgia buttons. It pushes the anticipation yeah. buttons. It's really great. It's really fun. It's kind of how I felt at the end of, Split. I mean, it's how everybody felt. Yes. It's how we were yes. meant to feel. Exactly. Because um, yeah. I went to a, a critic screening of it. And by the way, we'll be talking about Split in a couple of weeks. Hmm. Um, but uh, but I went to a critic screening of it. And so yeah. nobody knew what that was going to be. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, it was, I mean, think of it like, I, we're all so bored at the idea of a shared universe now. Yes. Who cares? Yes. Mm-hmm. I was for about two seconds excited about this dark universe that uh, Universal <laughs> wanted to do, and then right. I realized that they're apparently going to treat it like an action uh, yeah. thing instead. Yeah. Of, instead if, the, of if the dark universe was going to like take place in the 1920s, mm. mm-hmm. already I'm on board. Yeah, yeah, you know. But no, they wanted to just be like another action thing. Who cares? But um, but when M Night Shyamalan did this thing, I was like. Look who just got me excited. Yeah. You yeah. know, leave it to leave it to the least like the guy who's been <laughs> yeah. off the scene for like a decade. Yeah. And yeah, he might completely ruin it. Uh, well, uh, it's well. entirely possible. The Although Oscar, split was solid. Split was split fun. was pretty solid. Yeah. Which we'll talk again about in, in a couple of weeks. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Death Note, which was based on a, a, an anime series. Mm hmm. And I think um, a manga series as well. I believe yeah. that is, yes. Yeah. Um, is about this uh, young man, a teenager named Light, 
mm-hmm. uh, Light Turner, uh, who is kind of a misfit at high school. He's not necessarily a nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just kind of, he's just an outsider. Yeah. Um, and then one day he runs across this odd looking book that actually looks like more of a journal. Mm-hmm. And it's it says Death Note, and as he opens it, there's a very strange creature uh, named uh, Ryuk. Yeah, it's Ryuk. Ryuk. Um, this very strange creature shows up, and this creature is a death god. And essentially, this notebook that he has, as he flips through it, he sees all these names, and he realizes very quickly that if you write somebody's name in this book and write how they are going to die, that is what will actually happen. There are a number of rules that go along with it, but that is the essence of the death note. Um, You do need to know the person's name and you do need to know, you do need to have their face in mind as you write it. Those are the two big, those are the big rules and they play into the the larger story. Um, So as, uh, as light starts to understand exactly what can be done with the death note, uh, he, uh, kind of goes uh, full on uh, death wish yeah. um, or punisher and decides he's going to use this. He, and he lets, he lets uh, this girl that he kind of has a crush on, he lets her in on it as well. So the two of them together are deciding like they're going to right some wrongs in yeah. this world. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they see stories on the news about like a, a killer that has gotten off or something like that. And so they decide like, all right, well we have his name, we have his face and there's no justice in this world except what we're going to create right and they do and one of the things that happens is it happened and they they start uh taking credit for it though they don't use their actual names the name they use is kira yeah they invent a god basically yeah Yeah. they invent they don't necessarily say it's a god they invent an entity Entity, that kills people in a way that is not traceable but they're able to control people uh, up till the moment of their death. And so mm-hmm. they will have the person like, right, you know, Kira was here or something right, like that. Right. Uh, and then the person will die. And so the idea of, uh, of a, a larger cosmic intangible justice happening, uh, starts to appeal to people and Kira becomes a, an object of worship. Uh, but some people are, uh, dubious about, uh, these things. And so there's an, an investigation, uh, into Kira and, uh, it doesn't take long for people to actually realize that light might be behind it. Right. Um, now, and then of course there's, there's this odd dynamic between light and his girlfriend, uh, Maya or Mia. It's Yeah. It's Mia. Mia. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's this odd relationship between the two of them where they both feel very, you kind of get the impression they might not be together if it weren't for the death note. Yeah. I got, Um, I definitely got that feel. They do seem to have affection for each other, but this is definitely the thing that has bonded them Mm -hmm. together. So here's the thing. If it sounds like I just said a lot, you're correct. (laughs) I did. Yeah. For a 100 minute movie, give or take. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a lot of plot. Mm hmm. Now, I'm going to say some good things about Death Note, but I'm going to lead with a bad thing. (laughs) Why this film is a film and not a series is completely beyond me. Agreed. Yeah. I don't blame Adam Wingard for that. No. That is Netflix's fault. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They make make series constantly. Yes. This was a series. Yeah. 
And this 14 is, hours of viewing yeah. for the same level of story. Make it an, you know, if they can, if they can draw Castlevania out like, like they are, yeah, no then kidding. surely yeah. Death Note could have been in, let's say eight parts, just an mm-hmm. eight part series. Yeah. Because every single story note that I just, a story beat that I just said, um, could have been its own episode. Yeah, totally. You know, uh, there could be an entire episode devoted to the development of Kira as a godlike entity mm-hmm. that develops a following. Like that would be a great, a great whole forty-five minute episode. Sure. Um, this to me is the big flaw in Death Note. Yeah, and it's one of those rare things where you know I'm I'm a firm believer in the auteur theory, mm-hmm. um, and so I feel like one I I, I kind of that sort of dictates that I need to blame Adam Wingard, <laughs> but it's not, it wasn't his decision yeah. to make it into a, a film and not a series. And I think he does. And frankly, if, if it were a series directed this way, I think it would have been great. Yeah. Oh, I do too. I do too. Cause I think Adam Wingard does bring the style that he brought to your next, that he brought to the guests, that I assume he brought to Blair Witch. He mm-hmm. brings a great deal of style and these very strange off kilter camera angles. And just, he creates a very crackling, strange energy yeah. that just kind of keeps you on your toes and keeps you interested. Uh, even as we're jarringly going from one giant plot point to the next in the course of two seconds. <laughs> um, like if, if, if this had been, and eight, even a six part series, like yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I keep trimming it off. You know? Anything would, well, anything would be better than trying to cram the full story into the hour yeah. and 40 minutes that they did. And I will say that because of some of the, the sort of bad or negative response to it, I mean, Adam Wingard quitted Twitter. He quit Twitter mm-hmm. because of the fan backlash. Oh, against, I did not of, know that. Of fans of the anime series. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes the internet can be a horrible place. It's um, a thing I've said before. <laughs> so p- people just really, they just got up in arms against him uh, about that. And, and yeah, so he, so he quit Twitter. But to me, I actually, because of some of the negative press, I found myself enjoying it a lot more than I was prepared to enjoy sure. it. I was prepared to just sort of endure it. And there was a lot that I like about it. But uh, without question, it was hurried and rushed through some some huge major plot beats and i think character rhythms suffered for it characters um rushed to conclusions way too quickly yeah um and when i say rushed to conclusions it was it not like rash decisions like things that would have taken time yes. for the character to get to this point where their resistance was eroded and now they're just sort of in on this game yeah. uh yeah it was it was hurried along and like you said that's the movie format versus a six one yeah. hour you know versus like a i don't know why netflix makes these decisions because this was a perfect candidate for a six to eight episode series um but then they take 13 reasons why and that is you know 13 full hour things that easily could have been abbreviated. It could have been shortened. So, I mean, yeah. And you know, you just now you said that the film, that the death note is, is a series, but in a movie format. Now, I don't think that you would stick to that wording because it's Mm -hmm. not in a movie format. It's in a movie time running time. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And just that. Yeah. 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 Um, You're right. Because, 
trying to cram this much in. Look, I don't think that every movie needs to be a three act structure. I do think that it helps. I I think that a lot of genre films probably should be. I think it's just easier. And like, there's a reason that the three act format, uh, three act structure does work because it's just a, we've been trained to expect it. And also it's just, this is, this is what has been shown to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you should try not to deviate from it unless you have a very good reason. Sure. Well, I guess there was a very good reason, which is we've got a lot of ground to cover that does not fit into a standard three-act three structure. <laughs> right. Um, so let's abandon that in favor of trying to do literally everything. Yeah. Um, like, it is such, like, I cannot, especially when you see that, like, the style is there, the cast is there. Mm-hmm. I think there's a great cast. I and the too. performance. I think it's written fairly well. Yeah, like, I agree. It's all there. But it is an almost, in my opinion, fatal misfire to have not had this be a, a series. Yeah. Partially because this is a world and and especially something that, that involves like exploring the rules and yeah. what they mean. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, because I mean, they, at one point he flips over and I have not seen the anime. So maybe the anime right. goes into it in more detail, but I would have, how could it not? Right. It flips. He flips over at one point and is like rule 95. I'm like, Holy cow. There are clearly so many intricacies yeah. to what you can and cannot do with these books. And the film, it's runtime does not leave you with much choice. They have to focus in on the literal two or maybe three rules that they can squeeze in that, that third and then possible fourth, are literally only mentioned once. Yeah. You know, like the, the, the constraints of how and when he can control other people. Yeah. That is not pertaining to death. You know, like uh, somebody will do something to another person long before they kill themselves. It's like, okay, so how much control do you actually have over them? And those things don't even have time to be spelled out, let alone explored, because it's really just you've got to get them to the very next thing uh, as as quickly as possible. Yeah, and exploring the rules is, is... Essentially, world building, and mm-hmm. and it can be a it can be tremendously fun. Like any time a world is explored um, or introduced, learning the rules of that world, or the in this case the rules of the Death Note, can be a lot of fun. Sure. Uh, and you know, I remember one of my favorite things about it might be maybe this is what one one of the reasons why I like Invisible Man movies so much <laughs> because. Invariably, whether it be, you know, the the James Whale Invisible Man or John Carpenter's deeply flawed Memoirs of an Invisible Man, mm-hmm. which nonetheless has really great visual effects, they always do. Um, <laughs> right, is that sooner or later the characters do need to explain to somebody, or the film does explore what it means to be invisible, right, and what it means to stay invisible. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, in in uh, the invisible man, Claude Rains uh, explains that like he, he has to make sure nothing get nothing collect, no dust collects under his fingernails. Right. Cause that would show because up. That will show up right in memoirs and invisible man. He, uh, Chevy chase, uh, yeah, already where uh, that explains why the film is deeply conflicted <laughs> is the lead character is Chevy chase in what seems to be an espionage film. Uh, yes. Um, but at one point he mentions that, uh, he can't sleep very well because he can see through his eyelids. Oh, right. Like, right. That's brilliant. It never would have occurred to me ever. Mm-hmm. But of course, yeah. that, that's... So you would need to wear a sleep mask, obviously. 
Right. Right. Um, and I think both talk about, uh, how you can't like, they can't go out directly after eating because everything's in there churning around. And then right. once it becomes absorbed in them, then it then, goes invisible. Yes. Right. And so it's like, that's great. I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would have loved, I don't necessarily need to know, need to know every nine, all of the 95 plus rules of the death note. Sure. Right. But it, it could be so much fun to just learn the intricacies of this very specific thing. Right. Partially because the more you get to know them, the more you'll get to know the Ryuk, you know, right. the death God mm-hmm. who I got to say is largely useless. Hmm. He's a fun, he's a fun character and he's voice. Looks great. He looks great. Voiced wonderfully by Willem Dafoe. Right. Who really seems to lock unsurprisingly lock into that character. (laughs) But when it comes right down to it, like I don't exactly know why the Ryuk, aside from just delivering the death note to somebody. Right. I don't know what role the Ryuk plays. Yeah. I, I got the impression that maybe he is the, the death God who like, does it to the people that like the death note itself sort of activates his involvement in, but there's only one moment where we really see that. And that's the Ferris wheel. With the Ferris thing. wheel yeah. 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 And, and part of me assumed that he was involved in that because it's the owner of the death note mm. that it is happening to. Right. That would make sense. Um, but yeah, so like I would have liked to see more of him and there's a wonderful, that, that's the, that's the thing is like, it's still written pretty well. And there's little, little references to things that, and just because like, I don't want to see everything, but there's a moment when light says to Ryuk, like, well, what if I put your name down in, in the, in here? And Ryuk says like, other people have tried. There are four letters in my name. Uh, one guy got two letters in. Yep. He doesn't explain. I I assume the man died. (laughs) I assume the (laughs) Ryuk, I assume Ryuk killed him. Yes. But it's, it's kind of neat to think that like, there are only f- like, it's such a wonderful way and a way that seems very anime to me to just say, say like there are four letters in my name and just think in those terms, like right. how right. like, Oh, it shouldn't be any problem to write four letters down. One guy got two and that's the further he's, he got further than the rest. Yeah. Um, and so stuff like that is, is great. And I would love to see maybe not that specific story, but that idea explored more, a little bit more. Um, right. Right. But yeah, there's just, and I love the idea of, of the investigation. I love, uh, what's his name? Um, Lakeith Stanfield plays this character named L who is this very strange FBI investigator. And he's very, uh, he needs a handler because he's just so odd, Mm -hmm. um, and prone to these little flights of fancy that make him brilliant, but also very eccentric. The introduction of him could have been an entire episode. Yeah. You know? Because he is a interestingly written character played wonderfully with all these little quirks and nuances by, by the actor, you know? So like, that's the thing is like every time I have something good to say about the film and there is a lot good to say about the film, invariably it will be paired with it should hit this good thing would have been better Right. If done this other way. Yeah. So I feel bad. I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to harp on that. We should look at the film as it is. But when you, like when you take all these, you know, extra textual as they, as they say in school, all these extra textual things into play, uh, bring them into play. Like the fact that this is a Netflix show, mm-hmm. you can't help but think about what it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they easily have the freedom 
And yeah. Oh. It, it's always struck me as odd how they choose to utilize that freedom. Yeah. yeah. Um, but let's talk about some of the things that are there. And I would say, uh, first and foremost is, is the cast. I think the cast does a great job. Um, I'm not very, I'm not really familiar with Nat Wolf. I know that he has been, uh, in, he was in, I think a YA adaptation. Was it the fault in our stars? Is that him? Hmm. I don't know. Cause this was the first thing that I had ever seen him in. Okay. He's in one of those. <laughs> I don't remember which one, Yeah, but, uh, maybe it's not the fault in our stars. Maybe it's, I don't remember. Anyway, uh, but he really, it's a, it's a very, very odd character because the character of light is not always likable. Yeah. I noticed that. And, and it's hard at first to root for him. Yeah. Uh, or at least it was for me. They, they did pull that thing where he stands up for the, the girl. Yeah. Um, and that sort of endears us to him as it's, as it's supposed to. Yeah. But yeah, through much of the first half of the film, I found it hard to relate because I did not, I was, I wasn't really on board with what they were doing, yeah. the choices that they were making. Um, yeah. But the, but he's, so they're ostensibly in high school, though they do look like they're older than high school students, yeah. but that, that's par for the course. Um, but I do like that, uh, the choices they're making seem very high school to me. Mm, right. Like they, they, they lack all perspective <laughs> and <laughs> about it's just, anything. And it's right. based completely on, we know best. Mm-hmm. This world is not fair, but we're going to make it fair as a couple of 18 year olds. We know how this works. Literally holding life and death in the palm of yeah. our hand with the stroke yeah. of our pen. We're going to make things fair. Yeah. Exactly. And so he was unlikable in the way that, I view my high school self as unlikable, mm-hmm. you know, where she's like, "Ugh, if only you knew. Right. <laughs> but it, but that actually, for me, it works to make Shay Wiggum, who's mm. quickly becoming an actor. I love. Yeah. Um, it makes him, uh, so much more important mm-hmm. because early on, it looks like he's going to be kind of a clueless, distant father. Yeah. But then he becomes very, very, integral to the story sure because he is so uh he plays light's father who is uh a police officer a detective right who is investigating these odd deaths attributed to kira right and he winds up you know uh so as i'm as i wrote down some of these uh some of the quotes memorable quotes from the film uh, a lot of the uh declarations of theme come from James, uh, Light's mm-hmm. father. Yeah. And I think he plays a very important uh, role thematically. And I think he he's such a down-to-earth actor that he can say this stuff and it doesn't necessarily seem like he's declaring the theme. It seems like he, as an insightful, intelligent, uh, I don't know, uh, sympathetic character, yeah. it seems like a conclusion he came to naturally. Mm-hmm. And because he's a father, he's saying it to his son, who it is his job to teach. And right. so, like, those moments feel very real uh, on the part of both Nat Wolf and, and Shea Wiggum. I like both of them. Yeah, I agree. I uh, So, the biggest thing that Shea Wiggum hit my radar with was with Take Shelter. Yeah. Um, and uh, I can't remember if I've seen him in anything else, but I remember specifically in Death Note, there was a moment. He was in Kong Skull Island. Did you see Kong Skull oh, Island? Oh, see, I did, but I okay. remember him from that. Okay, yeah. Um, but the, uh, cause you know, there's a big giant ape wreaking havoc on, on, on skull Island. Um, but I remember the moment when I really 
clued in on his character in Death Note mm-hmm. is when he tells Light that he loves him. Be- yeah. Because, like you said, when we first encounter him, he seems like he's going to be this stereotypical, distant father who doesn't understand and doesn't get it. So then when he's talking to Light and he throws out the I love you, um, it was very much a moment where for me where I was like, okay, well, distant fathers, disconnected fathers in film don't say that. Yeah. Uh, in real life. They say it at the end when we lear- when we see that they've learned something. Exactly. But if exactly. he's saying it now, it's like, oh, I guess he's already there. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. he's already active and engaged in what's happening. Yeah. And, uh, and we find that to be true in the film. And that is one thing. The, the relationship between the son and the father is a big part of what really worked for me about Death Note. I mm-hmm. really liked that. Some of that's due to the performances, but I think also just the the relationship is is well-crafted. Um, yeah. And that's one of the handful of things that really I walked away saying, no, I really liked that element of, of the film. Yeah. Oddly enough, it reminded me of Wall Street. Did huh. you ever see Wall Street? I, I think I saw it like once years ago, but I don't have a strong memory for it. It features Charlie Sheen mm. and his father is played by Martin Sheen. Oh, wow. There and you go. his father is this working class guy who's like the head of a union. Mm. Um, and then Charlie Sheen becomes this big wall, this big time wall street guy. Mm. And he clearly starts to think, and he's young and cocky and he clearly thinks that he's kind of better than his working class father. Uh. And they, they have this clash. But then when, when things go bad for Charlie Sheen and he's yeah. in legal trouble, his dad stands by him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the arc of that reminded me of this. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it really does feel like, you know, light might be the main character, but I feel like his dad is the hero. Yeah, I agree. I agree um, with that. He's definitely the heart of the film, I think. Yeah, no question. And he's the one who, uh, despite all of, I mean, L kind of figures it out. Well, L figures it out. He doesn't figure out uh, the ins and outs and the minutia. Yeah. But I How like. How could you? I know, right? <laughs> hmm. I would, that was going to be a little bit of a stretch. It was already a stretch for me to believe that L had pointed it all the way back to yeah. uh, light. Um, but. One of the things I, I really liked was when the father puts it together, mm-hmm. when he sort of recognizes like, okay, it was you and yeah. doesn't quite know how, but he's like, okay, it was you who did this. Yeah. Um, that was a really satisfying moment to me. And sad because yeah. you, you get the impression he's like, it, it deeply saddens him that his that the person he's been looking for is his son because like right. on one level it's like how could i not have seen it but also like i don't want it to be true but right. it is yeah and here we are yeah um it's yeah, like it's, that premise of uh the stephen king story a good marriage where the premise of the story is that a woman has been married for 20 years and then discovers that her husband is a is a pretty prolific serial killer oh wow. um, but mm. she's been married for 20 years to him and he's been doing this for at least you know, a dozen of those years yeah. and, uh, and she never knew she had no idea until she stumbles on the, the evidence that that's, what's been taking place. Um, yeah, it, it's one of those things where it was a reminder to me of how, uh, blind we can be to what's going on in the, in the immediate relationships that we have. And this is a yeah. bit of a side tangent, so I'll just hit it and run, but we can be really blind to that element of things. Um, but then, I was impressed that the film took the time to to create such nurture within there, and maybe it yeah. was maybe it was something the actors brought to the table. But 
I feel like it's not dissimilar from the rest yeah. of Adam Wingard's work. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. He has moments of tenderness, especially mm. between parents and children. Mm, yes. Um, yeah. And what I will say is that you, you said like it, it made the time for it. Well, this is a movie that <laughs> speeds through everything. Right. And right. so it clearly meant something to the writers, to the director, and probably to the actors. Like, okay, we're going to pause mm-hmm. to really weigh the impact on these characters. Right. Uh, and each and, and their relationship. Um, so I do want to uh, move on because uh, listeners just want to let you know it is one twenty-five in the morning, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and peek we're getting a little tired. Um, so the big thing that that really struck me about, and the reason that I was like, well, obviously this is a more than one lesson. I don't know if the nature of it being a Netflix movie is that I don't know by the time this goes up, I don't know if anybody remembers it, like. <laughs> Netflix stuff, whether it be a, a movie or a series, it's, it's unless it's Stranger Things, it's gone in two weeks, if that. That is so frighteningly true. Yeah, yeah. it yeah, it's bizarre. It's it is uh, an unfortunate thing. It's very Netflix is very much a "What have you done for me lately?" type of model. <laughs> um, so, if you remember Death Note at all, you might recall, and I guess I talked about it earlier, but this idea of of light and Mia. There's a, uh, I wrote, I wrote a line down here. Hang on. Uh, let's see. As they, as they are killing these people that are getting off scot-free and that everybody knows they're guilty and they're, they got off on a technicality or whatever it is as light and me are killing these people. And there's a, and, and uh, under the name of Kira and they develop a following, a religious following, no less. Right. Um, right. Light says they talking about the, the followers, they're looking for someone who's not going to let them down the way cops do and politicians. Right. Right. And he is a guy, by the way, light, his mother was murdered. Right. Uh, by, I believe like a mobster or just a local criminal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and who got away and that's the first one that light goes for right uh right. wait hang on maybe not the first one no I believe the first one is the bully yeah because and the first the first one is only the bully because ryuk is trying to show him how it works yes so he's like just do something with this one but yes. then the first one he intentionally and deliberately goes after because that that bully is kind of by ryuk's yeah. prompting um so but the first one that light says i'm going to do this to this yeah. person is that that mob hit guy and it's interesting structurally because mm-hmm. I feel like a traditional structure, and I recognize that I just kind of bash the movie for not adhering to a traditional structure, but in this case, right. I'm, I like it. I think a traditional structure would be like the the mobster is last. Oh, like, right, right. Light it's the more personal. To, yes. Yeah. But no, this is like, this is true to a high schooler. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. we all know what I'm doing now. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, uh, high schoolers are not known for their patience. Uh, they don't savor things usually. No, no, and so typically. like, it's the first, it's, he's the first one to go. And, and that, I think that plays a big role because he now knows what it is to have seen justice enacted. Right. And so right. now I'm going to give that feeling to other people, but in doing so, while, while everyone in the world can look at that and say like, oh, justice is done. Now this is a religion I can get behind, behind because look how tangible it is. Right. There's a clear before and after. There's a cause and effect. We can, we can get behind this. 
But throughout, there are naysayers to this idea. Um, L, the investigator, he says, a man kills 400 people. He tells us that it's complicated, that he's just misunderstood. Do you think Kira would hear his excuses? Or do you think that he'd walk him off a bridge? I loved that line. I love it. Um, but then James, Light's father, he says something that I love. He says, how does Kira get to decide who lives and dies? Who's guilty and innocent? Is there a complaint department? If I don't like one of Kira's decisions, uh, is there a complaint department if I don't like one of Kira's decisions? Or would complaining just get me put on Kira's list? Right. Yeah. And that, and I love the maturity of the material mm-hmm. because, you know, I compared this to Death Wish. No one calls <laughs> into question uh, <laughs> Charles Bronson's decisions in right. Death Wish. Right. Whereas right. in this, uh, it's Death Wish on a much grander scale. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a certain degree of omnipotence there, mm. uh, not fully obviously, but, um, but the film takes sympathetic characters and have the, has them point out very rightfully, like there are major limitations to this. Right. And, and so, you know, one of the things that we're talking about is playing God, but also playing God out of the frustration of an invisible God mm, and mm-hmm. an invisible God who lets things happen. Right. They, it could be something very horrendous, like a murder or it could just be death. Yeah. Like this doesn't make sense to me. Where is the justice? Mm, Where is it mm-hmm. right? that that a young person should die so early. Right. I remember, right. um, Stephen Fry, who is, who yes. is an atheist. I'm sure you've seen this. Yeah. Um, in an interview, he was asked why he, what, like, what, what would you say to God mm-hmm. if you were to meet him? And he would say like bone cancer in children. How does that help you? Right. How does that help the mm-hmm. world? Why are you, why did you let that happen? And it's like, yeah, I, I get it. Like I see no, I don't see how that plays into the large tapestry of God's will. Right. Right. You know, like those kids have done nothing. Their mm-hmm. death will only cause despair. Yeah. You know? And so I totally get it. Um, and the character of Kira, the invented character within these characters lives is, is this embodiment of like, finally we are getting what we all know we want. Mm-hmm. And in some cases what we feel we need. Yeah. And, and deserve and deserve. Yeah what we feel we deserve. Certainly feel we deserve. Um, right. Right. And so it's, uh, it's something that really resonated with me thematically because mm-hmm. everybody can relate to that desire. Right. And I like that the film allows us to feel that, but then doesn't play directly into it all the time. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that, um, as the film got into its, its philosophy a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that, I walked away again, as I said, enjoying it more than I expected to. And I think it's largely because of some of those philosophical ideas where it was, it was dealing with this idea of, uh, of who really does, who really does get to decide and on what basis do they get to decide? And when you talk about, when you talk about life and death, um, one of the things that the, that the film dealt with that it would have been nice to see and explore more in a, in a broader or lengthier context is it's really just dealing with transgression. Mm-hmm. 
the, yeah. pe- the people that, that they write into the death note have done something wrong, and so then therefore they need to pay. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't any time spent on on quality of life. Yes. On on things like uh, uh, like well we're going to exhibit this because of mercy or we're gonna you know yeah. we're gonna do anything and obviously it's it's a horror film you don't expect it to go down all these different rabbit holes and everything but it was only dealing with the the trans the transactions against transgressions so they were writing down the names of people who had you know pedophiles and people who had killed people in mob hits and stuff like that and that's all they were that's all they were really doing and it would have been interesting to see what kind of responsibility uh the death note would have brought and maybe the anime deals with it i don't know but um, it did make me want to watch the anime i'll say that yeah and that's something i I think i'll seek out the anime and see uh and just see what different places it takes the story because there's like 37 episodes of it each a half hour so we're dealing with like 14 hours versus the hour and 40 you know (sighs) so it's definitely going to go to a more expansive place yeah um but yeah i hear a lot uh not just from the stephen fries of the world but uh but even sometimes from believers uh the whole the 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 god let me down idea Mm -hmm. and uh and it very much is i think that we have a hard time dealing with the realities at hand yeah and i think a lot of times what we buck against is our concept or even our desire of what we want God to be and what to a degree God has been pitched to us as being. And that's largely what we reject or confront or resist um, in struggling with disappointments is really the image that's been presented to us, the ideas that's been presented to us. And one of the things that I thought about specifically with Death Note, um, and I don't know if this will possibly bleed into the companion film, if that's even the time for it, but um, I, I think a lot when people talk about God, uh, they usually talk about uh, two things. And we've said this on fear of God mm-hmm. at least once, maybe frequently. People talk about identity, and they talk about it in relation to capacity. So what I mean by that, getting out of the vocabulary storm, is just that who you are is wrapped up in what you are able to do. Boy, yeah. So So... When people say like, "Ooh, it's godlike," usually what they mean is you hold the power of life and death. Yes, you hold the power of will, and and it's all about capacity. Mm-hmm. Has nothing to do with intention. Has nothing to do with understanding or emotion or sympathy or anything like that. Yeah, people don't think of identity in those kinds of terms. Right. They don't. They don't. Even though we'll admit that God is omniscient, we usually don't think about you know, godlike unless you know everything. Right. It's 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 uh where I've I've thought, especially in the last few years, of God's knowledge as being ultimate understanding. As yeah. something that, that is being well, he he immediately knows the root of every problem. Yeah. Um instead of just he can know all and see all that he immediately understands all, that he knows why I do the things that I do and what's driving that from a psychological and even a spiritual perspective. And there's this feeling of, you know, part of, part of the death note is the ability to know the future of certain people because you are controlling it. Right. Right. Um, and so it's, it's, so with the idea of omnipotence or, or, uh, omniscience, um, is that, you know what's going to happen. You know the future. 
Well, God is outside of time. Everything is happening right, right now. Now, mm-hmm. that might sound uh, overwhelming to you and I, but that's because we live within time. We yeah. have a concept of what has happened, what is happening, what's going to happen, maybe. Right. We're bound. Um, mm-hmm. God knows literally everything at every moment. He knows what the impact of what I'm saying right now, what it is or likely isn't going to have uh, on the world. Yes, yes, I know. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's too it's too late at night We're for self-deprecation. I'm sorry. Yes. Anyway, um, he knows all this stuff. Like, we are just like fumbling around in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even when we think about what it means to be omnipotent, to be able to have godlike powers, we also... If like maybe we'll think about what it means to understand everything, but even then it is limited to what our definition of understanding is. Right, and yeah. our definition of understanding is knowing is having the insight to predict pretty re- reasonably how things will turn out. Sure, of course, things turn out. What does that even mean to God? Right, like right. There's just what is. Mm-hmm. And what caused something, how it affected it, but the cause and effect are happening at the exact same time. Right. Like that yeah. is a, a astonish that is an astonishing understanding that we will never get. Right. And right. that idea, the idea of limitation mm-hmm. and and our own point of view and the role that that plays in how we look at God, how we look at ourselves and how we look at ourselves as being preferable to God. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. We are never, no, I probably have to cut that out. No, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we never take that into account. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a wonderful moment I love from an, invest- an investigation standpoint in Death Note, where L has come to realize that, huh, every, interesting, every person that has died has been widely reported in the media. So Kira is not omnipotent. Mm. Like, there are limitations. Right. And it's, and it's limited solely to perception. Yeah. There are, like, think about, like, Kira's doing all these wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Well, think of all the things that are not reported. Right. Think of those people, and none of them have any consequences. Yeah. Right. But think of those poor. Think of those victims, and mm-hmm. they look and they watch TV, and they see Kira mm-hmm. enacting justice for those people. Well, what about me? Right. What have I done wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, there's stuff like that. So I also wanted to bring up our companion film. <laughs> you know, both chuckling. We did not. We did not necessarily love Death Note, but we decided as a companion film, by we, I mean I, <laughs> decided as a companion film to talk about a movie that is uh, undeniably worse. Yes. Um, and that is John Frankenheimer's, kind of. Uh, oh, yeah. John Frankenheimer's The Island of Dr. Moreau from 1996. Now, oh, man. there is a documentary out there. I think it's on Netflix. Uh, uh, called I, Yeah, it's, uh, it actually might be Amazon Prime. Okay. Yeah. It is called Lost Soul. And mm-hmm. it is all about the making of the Island of Dr. Moreau as originally envisioned by this uh, very strange director named Richard Stanley. Yeah. Who spent uh, four years developing it. Yeah. Before it came to fruition. But I, but one thing that comes that I come away from with that documentary is that like, I don't think he was able to do it. 
Like, I don't think no. he was able to, you can plan it all you want, but when it came to realization, I don't think he was able to do it. Right. So right. I don't necessarily blame the studio for taking him off the project, mm-hmm. but at the same time, this project might've been doomed from the start. Oh my gosh. Like between the ego of Val Kilmer, the insanity of Marlon Brando, mm-hmm. the lack of faith from the studio, the lack of interest in John Frankenheimer and yeah. the passion, but probable probable incompetence of richard stanley mm-hmm. the island of dr moreau it's a miracle it turned out as good as it is and it's not that good <laughs> no yeah exactly but i saw this movie when i was young it's 96 so i was 13 mm. wow um and it is one of the first movie reviews i ever wrote oh i don't remember what i wrote it for i think wow. it was like just something i printed off and you gave to people wanted to <laughs> yeah um and Oh, you know, it might've been on like AOL or something like that. Oh, now that I, I think see. about it. Yeah. Gotcha. And you know, I was 13. I went to Dr. Moreau. Terrible as it is. Hang on. I don't know if I think it's actually terrible. Misguided. Let's say misguided. Yeah. As misguided as it is and occasionally terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, it was exploring things that I at age 13 had not thought about. Yeah. And found and, interesting. I'm and sure. found interesting. Yeah. And I was seeing some very strange, odd but committed performances Mm. uh, and the makeup is great and all that. And so I really liked it. And then, you know, only as I got older, did I realize like that it was seen as a weird joke uh, by people. I rewatched it a few weeks ago. Oh yeah. God help me. (laughs) I cannot say this movie is terrible. Really? Because I admire its weird ambition and its willingness to just be whatever it's going to be. Sure. Yeah. Um, like everyone makes fun of Brando's weird performance, but it's like, at least it's not boring. That's true. It sure. It's, it's certainly utterly and, eccentric. Yeah. But and, yeah. And I like some of the stuff that Val Kilmer is doing. Like mm-hmm. with his character, you see a guy who is absolutely reckless. Yes. Yes. Like a hundred percent. Mm hmm. Um, and I don't know if you've read the the story by H.G. Oh, yeah, Wells. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. That is Montgomery, right and mm-hmm. left. Yes. And there are different interpretations of the character of Dr. Moreau. There is a film called The Island of Lost Souls, which came out in the 1930s. Which is a wonderful film. It is infinitely better mm-hmm. yes. than The Island of Dr. Moreau. And it features a one of my favorite actors, Charles Lawton, in the part of Dr. Yeah. Moreau. Yeah. There is so why wasn't Tyler, why wasn't that the companion film? It is a good film. Uh here's why. Is that Dr. Moreau is actually malevolent, like full on malevolent. Yeah, he's sadistic. He is sadistic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the idea of uh, what so on the island of Dr. Moreau, um, this disgraced doctor is performing experiments on animals and turning them into humanoid creatures yes. so that he can do something. Yeah. It's, it's not even really clear the intentions behind yeah. this experiment, just to, to sort of take an animalistic thing and make it more human yeah. uh, through vivisection and mutation and yes. et cetera. Yeah. Uh, it really is just like experimentation with no real I uh, no goal like right. in the, in the original story and certainly in the Island of Lost Souls here though, Dr. Moreau thinks he's doing something good. Yes. He, the, the way he describes it as crazy British Marlon Brando can, he says, 
For 17 years, I have been striving to create some measure of, refi of refinement in the human species. And it is here on this very island that I, sir, have found the very essence of the devil. I have seen the devil in my microscope, and I have chained him. And I suppose you could say, in a sense, metaphorically speaking, I have cut him to pieces. The devil, Mr. Douglas, I found is nothing more than a tiresome collection of genes. And it is with great assurance that I can tell you that Lucifer, son of morning, is no more. And elsewhere he says, I have almost achieved perfection, you see, of a divine creature that is pure, harmonious, absolutely incapable of any malice. And if in my t tinkering I have fallen short of the human form by the snout, claw, or hoof, or sorry, hoof, uh, it really is of no great importance. I am closer than you can possibly imagine, sir. So he seems to be, he seems to sit, look at society and the way people are and just sees horrible behavior yes and so he sees in the purity of animals mm -hmm. the key to our success as a species yeah but he needs to so he he operates on these animals and makes them humanoid so it's like okay so we need a certain purity like purity of of intent that right. comes with animals right there's no calculation in mm -hmm. animals so we need that but we also need certain and like the idea of of the strongest and you know hunter versus hunted that right. needs to go so he he creates these humanoid creatures but then he also comes up with the law yeah and the law is essentially like you know, you will walk on two feet, not on four. Mm -hmm. um, and just there's, you know, you will speak right English. You will not say these grunts and stuff. And then he has the sayer of the law in the, mm -hmm. in the Island of Lost Souls played by Bella Lugosi, I believe. Uh, I think that's right. It's been a few years since I've seen it, but I think that's right. And by Ron Perlman in, in the new film. And so, uh, but what, but here's, what's interesting is so the law is meant so is, is so that these animals will not revert back to their animalistic nature. Right. So that's part of it. And enforcing the law is this little electric chip that he puts in all the animals and he pushes a button and it electrocutes them. And yeah, and they feel pain, they feel pain. And now they know not to deviate from the law. But what's interesting, and this falls into death note as well, is that the, uh, uh, executors of the law, Yes, in some level, uh, on some level, it has to do with this larger goal, but it also has to do with their own convenience, mm. their limited human convenience. Dr. Moreau, it's like a, a big part of executing the law is making sure they do what I want them to do right. and that they don't ask a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah. And as benevolent as Moreau seems to be, when it comes right down to it, he thinks that he knows best. He has set himself up as a god. He is treated as a god. Yes. And, but even he doesn't necessarily adhere to the law all the time. Right. Which means that he is above the law and he can do what he wants. Mm -hmm. um, and then same with Light and Mia. Like, after a certain point, they start putting each other's names in the death yeah. note. Yeah, right, right. They haven't, neither of them have done anything wrong as far as they are concerned. Right. They've done tons of things wrong right. cosmically. Killed more than um, 400 people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, but they haven't done anything to each other, mm -hmm. but they're doing it for manipulation. Right. And so, um, so that's something that I wanted to talk about is like just the, the, like we, we, we want justice. We want civility. 
we want people to be better. We want the world to be better. We want it to make sense, but we also want it to make sense according to what we think sense means. Right. And therein lay our, our own limitations. Right. You know, God, you know, as you said, like to be God means complete and total understanding Mm -hmm. and understanding is not the same as everything's going to turn out great all the time. Understanding means some things aren't going to turn out great, but everything will, but I do know that everything will work together for this larger, great thing. And as I am able to see past, present and future all at once, I know what that means. Right. But people who can't, who only, who think of what used to be, what is, and what could maybe be, uh, and then, filtered through their own limited idea of what good and bad are right mixed with their own self-interest of course you know yeah. it's like those two things are never going to gel 100 percent. Right. and i think that the so, so in talking about this whole idea of like the greater good and things that we that that have to happen for the greater good i think it's always been um, not always. That's ridiculous. I think it's it's <laughs> it's come to be for me. I have usually balked against when people have said like, "Oh, well, this horrendous, horrific thing happened. Uh, God will receive glory from it." Mm-hmm. And I've I've balked frequently against that. Where yeah. I'm like, oh, well, let's 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 hold on a second here because um, that really plays." As, as we find great comfort in, uh, that plays into this idea of like, okay, uh, God doesn't really care about the details. It's more about the, right. the big, broad picture. And one of the things that really started to stem the tide for me in that subject matter is how attuned to the details Christ was. Yes. That when Christ was here, he was all about the interruptions. And, and he would frequently like stop to have these smaller, yeah. uh, you know, more intimate moments of things. And so, uh, and would weep over moments of, of sadness and broken hardness, yes. broken heartedness and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so he was clearly very attuned to, yeah. to those kinds of moments. And, and so one of the things that I've sort of come to, to land on is, uh, like we've been talking about here, the idea our idea of good and evil and our idea of justice says that um, we infuse rules of our own understanding onto what good and evil has to look like from God's perspective. Yes. So I know that was an unwieldy statement. I'll, I'll, I'll try to take it again. That like we think we know what good and evil, right and wrong, justice is yeah and then we infuse like oh well clearly if god's going to abide by that then it has to look like this yeah and when it doesn't then we say that the fault lies with god yeah so so we'll say like oh well the, the, clearly the problem is you in the same way that mia and uh light come to say like well don't you see the problem is the book yeah. Don't you see the problem is uh that this what this book is doing to us and i remember yeah. thinking when i watched the movie i was like guys you're the problem. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you thought this was an okay thing to entertain, to play around with. Like, you're the problem. Uh, Dr. Moreau, he's, he's landed on this ability, this capacity that he has, but lacks, he lacks the understanding needed to really guide this, uh, this, 
this tribe of creatures that he's fashioned into the right way. And the only way that he knows it is by uh, transgression and punishment. That's the only way he knows it. And we we said that about Death Note as well, that this is all dealing in transgression and punishment. There's There's no activity here based around benevolence, based around mercy. They've talked themselves into to to believing that because they take these bad guys out then they're being benevolent to the good guys yeah. but that's um that's a misappropriation of justice that's a mis- that's a misunderstanding of the rhythm uh of redemptive grace that's a misunderstanding yeah. again it's a godlike power but only sort of the dark side of what we consider godlike power to be which is the capacity to punish unilaterally right um yeah I was going to uh, pick Bruce Almighty as the companion, for uh, that, but then I realized, right. like, well, I want to stick with the Halloween times thing, sure, and, right, uh, right, and right. pick something that is a little bit. I, Island of Doctor Moreau isn't horror, but there's some horrific, sure, ideas yeah. and imagery in oh, there. Yeah, so I, right. I decided to go with that. Um, and I do want to say a couple of things. Uh, fr- uh, read a couple of verses from the Bible. Uh, the first is from Deuteronomy uh, 32. And this is verse, as tends to happen, I will look this stuff up and it will give me a single verse, but I will add verses. No, I won't add them. I will select verses before and after to give <laughs> right, a little bit more right. context, but I will fail to write down exactly what that is. So this is verse 35, but it also might be 34 through 36. <laughs> it's right around there. Roughly. I apologize. Um, read, do you mind reading Not Deuteronomy? So Deuteronomy 32, 35-ish. It is mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. The Lord will vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants when he sees their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free. He will say, Now where are their gods, the rocks they took refuge in, the gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up to help you. Let them give you shelter." All right. So there's a, there, like the idea of like vengeance is mine, Mm. says the Lord. Like we look at, I have always looked at that, not always, but like for a good portion of my life, I've looked at that as as God being a jerk Mm. Mm -hmm. as like, no, 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 it's mine. You don't get to do it as though he's denying me. Not that I have to seek vengeance on anybody. Sure. Right. Um, I still do. Because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of perceived slights in my life, but um, but like as though he's robbing me of some kind of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Well, the idea is revenge and justice. This idea that like oh, it's ours to do. Now, don't get me wrong. There is justice in the world that we should be fighting for, but at the same time, you're never going to get all of it, and right. you are a limited person. And to hinge your satisfaction, your cosmic spiritual satisfaction on justice or vengeance is going to cause you to waste a lot of time right. and not be doing what you should be doing because you're pursuing this thing that in the end is God's and God's alone. Like this, right. this right. is a, essentially, this is a verse about a larger justice mm-hmm. and one that you might not witness I remember David and I were, were once talking about there will be blood. Oh, yeah. So at the end of there will be blood, um, Daniel Plainview has done a terrible thing. Yes. And David and I were trying to think like, do we think he's going to get off? Mm. And we both thought, yeah, he probably will. 
Yeah. He's very rich. He'll probably figure some way out. There's consequences for that. Right. And David was so frustrated. He loves the movie, but he was very frustrated by that. And I said like, yeah, but you know, look at how miserable Daniel Plainview is. Like mm-hmm. he is going to live in his, in his own personal hell for the rest of his life. Yeah. And David was like, yeah, but we're not seeing that. And I was like, well, you're not going to see everything. Right. Right. But we both absolutely agree that this is a miserable man and he will always be this. Yeah. Getting everything he wants is maybe the worst thing that ever happened to him because mm-hmm. he's not responsible to anybody else now and that will destroy him. Yeah. But like, but it's this idea like David was frustrated that he wouldn't get to see it happen. Like, because it means trusting something larger than mm-hmm. himself, even mm-hmm. if he and I both agreed that that larger thing would absolutely happen. Right. Um, right. You know, it is a very, that's not to put anything on David. We all have this. Sure. We want to see this thing happen. Yeah. Um, that's where the satisfaction comes. That's yeah. the, the, the satisfaction comes in seeing them get yeah. what they deserve. But that is to a degree what death note is, is really playing with because mm-hmm. they execute something that should be bringing a lot of satisfaction yeah. and is only perpetuating more chaos yeah. and destruction. And it is very much about them seeing because that's how they even know who to go after in the first place. Exactly. They have to see it. Um, and that's the thing. God sees all. And then he decides mm-hmm. what, he, you know, what he's going to do. Also knowing that there is going to be a larger justice, no matter what right. happens here on earth. Right. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to skip this uh, Exodus uh, verse and I'm going to go second Timothy verse uh, chapter four verses one through eight. And then we will pretty much end after that. Yeah. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. But you keep in your head in all situations, uh, sorry, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an, of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge. He will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing." I love that. I love that. Yeah. I've, I've talked about the, you know, uh, uh, people put not putting up a sound doctrine and stuff like that and, right. and seeking right. out teachers to tell them what they want to hear. Like I've talked about that before, but like in the context of what we're talking about here, like whether it be light and Mia or Dr. Murrow, like people who set themselves up as I will give you this thing that you so badly want and that we all want. Right. You know, we want, uh, malice, out of gone out of the human heart as dr moreau talks about we want sure. justice as light and mia are talking about these are not bad things to want mm-hmm. but we're never going to get all of them and right. anybody that says we are anybody that's that that you know what is it uh anybody that says what our itching ears want to hear is someone that is probably going to get a lot out of our following them mm-hmm. um and someone that is just that is selling us something that is not possible and i know that right. might sound that might sound despairing that might sound fatalistic but to me it's just like 
Yeah, but it's true. Like we all know that life isn't fair and to some it is less fair to others. And you know, I'm just as frustrated as anybody else by people that, by people that can have children biologically, which I cannot, my wife and I cannot by people whose parents are still around and are still around until well into their nineties or whatever. Sure. Um, Right. You know, like we all have these things that have happened to us and we can look at other people and say like, Oh, why, you know, why are things going so well for them? When am I going to get what is coming to me? Right. Um, Right. But what this, what this verse is talking about is that like, you can't, you should not trust the people that will say, I'll, I will give you what's coming to you, but only the good stuff. Mm, Um, right. You know, it says like at the end of like, as you get to the end of your life, you know, cause this is uh, Timothy talking and he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the, the, the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, I love that part. And yeah, not only to me, right. but also to all who have longed for his appearing who have longed for his appearing. Like that's the thing is we can long for justice and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But in the end, like we should long for the righteous judge. We should long for, right. We should long for the source of peace. Mm -hmm. We should long for the thing that will bring every, the, the supreme understanding as you're talking Mm -hmm. about that will bring everything into itself so that everything turns out the way it should not the way we think it should, you know, it might, it might line up with what we have in mind. It might not. Right. But either way, like we should long for God. We should long for his understanding, accepting that it is greater than our own. Right. We long for capacity. Yeah. And what we need is relationship. Absolutely. Um, so I just wanted to, uh, to, to put that out there. Uh, all this stuff came to mind in watching Death Note, <laughs> a movie that should have been a series. That's right. Um, so we will go ahead and leave it there. I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. Um, you can go to morethanonelesson.com. You can check out all of our other past Halloween Times episodes. And be sure to check out The Fear of God. Uh, if you enjoy horror uh, don't worry. It's not just October over at Fear of God. It's all year long. All year long. You have this rotting jack-o'-lantern here. <laughs> you really should get rid of it. We're in Reed's apartment right now. It's got now. its own ecosystem yes, over it's there. It's very uh, frightening yes. and uh, dispiriting, mm-hmm. but uh, I appreciate your commitment to <laughs> Halloween. But anyway, all right. So uh, I think that's about it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Reed, thank you so much for, for being here at what is now 2 a.m. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And we'll get you next time. Bye.